Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When Leah Shimbakuro, head of products at a tech company, is expecting her second child, She's determined to write her previous birth experience, which was difficult and ended in an emergency C-section. She takes a proactive and studious approach to her birth preparation, arming herself with as much information as possible. In consultation with her antenatal care providers, Leah decides to attempt a vaginal birth after cesarean. This inspirational story is testament to that history doesn't need to repeat itself and that it is possible to have a good birth after a previous difficult experience. My name is Caroline Johansson, and you're listening to the podcast To Become a Mother. Hello, welcome uh, Leah, welcome Nairi. Hi. Thank you very much for joining us today. Leah, you have one daughter who is two and a half years old, and you have a son that's 10 months old, and it's the son's birth we'll hear about today. I'd like to start by asking, when did you and your partner think this is a good time to start trying for a second? Yeah, we definitely didn't think a good time to try for a second was at the year mark when we were just kind of coming out of the baby phase. But um, for us, it was kind of more circumstantial. We were planning to move to the U.S. and we wanted to make sure that we had our son here. And yet we were we decided to go ahead and give it a shot right once I went back from maternity leave. And we were really lucky. It was a second try that we were able to get pregnant. So yeah, really, really thankful for that. And yeah, it was a completely different experience second time around. You know, it wasn't like baby massages and yoga. Like obviously we're under lockdown, but um, on top of that, yeah, you've got toddler running around. You got to look after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was quite exhausting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How were you feeling otherwise, like physically? Um, Again, pretty fortunate. With neither of my pregnancies, I didn't have severe morning sickness. Mm -hmm. It was just like this kind of faint hungover feeling constantly. There was maybe once or twice where I felt really sick that I had to like, I couldn't really do anything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just just tired. And I had in my first pregnancy, being pregnant kind of kicked off hormones in a way that 
I kind of went through a bit of anxiety and I definitely felt that with my second, but even much more, I think a bit of depression set in, whether that that was purely pregnancy or whether it was the fact that, you know, that was the winter that we went into that never ending lockdown. Mm. So, you know, I think that was tough for for everyone. Yeah. And add in your first trimester with a toddler, it's not really going to help. What is it that happens hormonally, uh, Nairi, in, in pregnancy that, that might set off depression or anxiety? during pregnancy? Well, I don't think it it is just hormonal, but obviously there is um, a rush of hormones at the beginning. But some women will actually feel more positive and more upbeat. So I think it's more to do with, I mean, this is guesswork, but I would say it's more to do with the fact that having a baby changes everything, even when it's planned. Mm. You know, it affects your relationships with everybody important in your life. Most people have financial considerations when they're having a baby. You might have work issues. You begin to wonder if the world is good enough for your child. You worry about climate change. I mean, mm. there is so many things to to think about and process that I think that it begins to impede on sleep. And then if you are constantly feeling nauseous as well or very tired. So although the hormones are there and and they change in in obviously quantity you get an increase in progesterone in in estrogen i think it's probably more about the huge life event yeah even when you've planned it yeah you know i think that makes sense because I, I would say i was six months seven months it was when i was when we were kind of coming out of the lockdown and that's when i started to feel a lot better yeah and i guess it's just also knowing that you have one baby or a toddler by then, still mm-hmm. very young. And mm-hmm. then you're going to introduce a new member to this family and it's going to change the entire dynamic. Yeah, no, definitely. I had a lot of thoughts around, am I doing this too soon? Am I kind of robbing her of time that she should get? Understanding that once this baby comes, I was going to just get sucked away into like this baby hole basically. And although I would be around, I wouldn't ever be able to give her anywhere near the attention I was giving her at the moment. So you're you're thinking about that and mm-hmm. you kind of feel guilty and yeah. And how were you feeling about birth? Yeah. So the birth, I was a little bit nervous the second time around. The first time we had reduced fetal movement at 38 weeks. And when we went in to get checked, they were like, look, we'll book you in. You'll go straight to delivery suite. We'll do an induction. You'll be monitored the entire time. And, you know, great. And I was terrified of being induced because I'd watched my sister get induced and it was a really awful experience. So it was so bad that I said, look, I need to think about this. And I went home that night and um, I was I was almost in shock. I was so scared of having to make the decision. But when I got around to going, okay, I think I'm okay with this decision mm. and went back in, then speaking to the midwife, the midwife was just like, well, you rejected that. Um, so we can't give you that option anymore. You're going to have to go into at Humberton's called the Templar Ward, which is this kind of other ward where you don't have the kind of same level of care, same level of pain relief, which I was very nervous about. And so that and was, was it the pain relief that you uh, you were specifically concerned about with the inductions, like mm-hmm. going ahead, not having pain relief until yeah, the level of pain relief that I thought would have been needed. What what after watching what my sister went through, yeah. I was like, I want to make sure that I can get that like an epidural yeah. if I absolutely needed it. And what are normally then the, the norms or the rules, Nairi, around pain relief when you're having an induction? Like when do you normally prescribe, for example, an epidural? Is that when you're in established labor or is it? 
even later or earlier? It should be flexible. There are arguments for having it early on in that procedures like having your waters broken, examinations will be more comfortable because you have an early epidural. But the flip side is if you have an epidural really early, you have more top-ups, so your legs get heavier. Mm -hmm. So you potentially increase your risks of things like forceps delivery, etc. But ultimately, there shouldn't be any rules. And the decision should be made by one person only, the woman having the baby. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there shouldn't be judgment around that because everybody's circumstance is different. Um, You've got people having different pain thresholds or or feeling more anxious than other people. You've got some babies in the perfect position, so the pain being in a a more acceptable place. You've got babies who are in the back-to-back position where the pain might be very strong in the back. I just think it needs to be made on an individual basis and there shouldn't be set rules. Mm. And particularly with the first baby, I don't really hold with the argument that it's too late for an epidural Mm. because I've seen epidurals go in successfully when women have been 10 centimetres dilated. Mm. So I I think um, women should be given information and make the decision without sort of being coerced one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very nervous about um, getting induced that way. And it was very, I can't tell you how scared I was of Mm. the induction process Um, and like PTSD, I don't think it, like it it was, it was pretty bad. And so at that point we went away and spoke to a doula who thankfully had worked at the hospital and kind of knew the management structure who gave us the right people to contact in regards to kind of challenging the decision. So you basically said to the hospital, if this is how we're going to do it, I need to have more time to think about this. I was like, this is, this is the only way, this is how I feel comfortable. I am so, I am so scared. And there was this, this kind of pushback because these consultants had said it was fine, but the midwives were saying it's not fine. And so we went escalated it, which I felt really funny about because at the end of the day, you're going and you're escalating to someone's boss who's going to then speak to this person who's going to potentially deliver your baby. You know what I mean? Like you're going over someone's head and I'm going, I'm going to speak to your boss. That's not necessarily the right way to set off a relationship, Mm. especially when you're doing something so personal. You know, so it was, it was nerve wracking because I'm thinking about the reduced fetal movement. I'm thinking about how I'm going to have to force my way into the situation, which, you know, I don't want to start off the relationship that way. Um, and I mean, it, it wasn't ideal when we finally speak to the midwife, it took a few goes and then she okayed it. But then even then, so we were given a time to come to the hospital and we were admitted, put into a room. And then about half an hour later, the consultant came in and said, so the lead midwife has decided that they actually can't do this. You're going to have to come back another time. And the lead midwife came in and she, without even looking at me, just looked at the doctor was like, I'm not doing this. I don't have time for this. I could feel that they weren't kind of taking my concern seriously. So, you know, it's a pretty scary situation to go into. Mm. And you're kind of in this place of, I want to be pleasing because I've already obviously upset these people and Mm. I'm, you know, heavily relying on them. At the same time, I know what I should be doing and I need to be doing right by what I feel inside, Mm. you know? And so eventually we did 
get admitted and they did start the induction process. I had an epidural earlier than I think I would have done. The actual, the midwife who was seeing me at that point. Now looking back, she wasn't very confident. And she said, look, I'm going to, my water had broken, but she said something about needing to break your hind water. And she's like, I recommended epidural at this point. So I'm like, if a midwife is telling you, you should get an epidural, I'm not going to, I'm like, yeah, cool. Let's mm-hmm. do that. So I got the epidural and, and whatever. The next morning when we were doing the shift changeover, the consultant, lead consultant, lead midwife kind of doing the rounds of the room. And the consultant came in and said, you know, I've seen here on your birth plan that you don't want forceps or a C-section, but you've asked for an early epidural. So you pretty much guarantee that you're going to have one or the other. You should just stop trying. No. And then was just like, and I just want you to know, this isn't America. You, this, you don't get a demand healthcare, which I was just completely at a loss for. I remember the lead, lead midwife looked horrified, walked out of the room. And I explained to her, I was like, look, I came here in my early twenties. I don't even know what birth, I don't, I don't know what birth is like in the U.S. And, you know, in terms of birth plans, this one was written by my doula who had worked at Homerton, had been reviewed by multiple midwives because I was really nervous about my birth plan, mm. as I'm sure most first time moms are. And yeah, it was pretty awful. Nairi, you're shaking your head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just quite horrified that the consultant said that it's unacceptable to make somebody feel so unconfident about what's going to happen, so judged, very unacceptable, I would mm. say. Yeah, it's really unprofessional not set- yeah, as well. And it's really not setting the scene for... <laughs> yeah, it's your first birth. Yeah, no. you're, yeah. Um, I'm really lucky that the midwife who was assigned to me was really wonderful. After she left, she was just like, you know, I just want you to know that there's this number you could call. You know, we should always provide feedback, good, bad, whatever it is. So she's very diplomatic, very professional. You know, she didn't come out right, whatever. And then she was just like, and also, I hope you know that like, if, for example, you were uncomfortable with me being in the room at any point, you could let us know if there's anyone you don't want involved. You know, she so she was mm-hmm. very professionally and diplomatically letting me know, mm-hmm. hey, look, that's not right. I'm sorry. Here's what you can do about it. And also, if you don't want her involved, she doesn't have to be, mm-hmm. which is what we asked. And apart from her and apart from that other situation, everyone we dealt with was lovely. When the obstetrician said this to you, mm-hmm. what did you feel about the prospect of having a successful birth. Did you lose all confidence? Because I had a doula and because I had done some preparation work with her, I wasn't. So I think had I not gotten a doula and had someone kind of explaining to me, you know, here are the risk of this, here are the risk of that. And then by this point, I had talked to her about everything that I was doing. So she was keeping me involved. And also as soon as the consultant left, I called her and spoke to her again. So for me, hope wasn't lost. Also being an American, epidural is a bit more common. So mm-hmm. I knew that that like there's plenty of women who have epidurals and they still have a successful birth. Yeah. Unfortunately, didn't end up having a successful birth, but that was because I picked up an infection at 10 centimeters. Can you explain a bit about that? What happened? Yeah. So I was, you know, dilating fine. My waters broke before the up, uh, before they needed to give me a drip. So they, I, my waters broke just off of the gel and I dial, I think they gave me uh, the drip once I got to about maybe six or seven. Mm, and the drip was to speed up the contractions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And um, I was managing on, so I think you can have up to like oh, is it 20 cc every hour or something of, of the epidural. I can't quite remember. But I was managing on like five every three hours. Mm. And then once they started to drip, then it was like every hour I was getting it. And then 
it was getting close to it and they were going to give me, uh, they were increasing the level of Pitocin that they were giving me. And so they gave me the full amount of the epidural and I went to sleep and I woke up probably half an hour later um, because at that point I dilated to 10. They're like, okay, let you go to sleep and then we'll probably start pushing in an hour or so. And I woke up with my husband, my doula, two midwives and a consultant all circling me. Someone's hand was already on my leg and I was shaking and they were like, baby's heart rate's elevated. You've got a fever. We actually, we need to get the baby out now. We're going to need you to start pushing immediately. And we're basically going to decide up until we get into the theater room as to whether we're going to do a C-section or forceps because it was like kind of like a serious situation at that point. Mm. Um, and then by the time, so they're having me push and it's a, it's a very kind of nerve wracking situation because, because they're, because they need to prep for the, the potential of a C-section, they start running you through the risks, you know, yeah. all of that kind of stuff, signing off waivers here, signing a waiver here. And in the meantime, like it, yeah, it's all pretty intense. And then once I got to the theater, um, they're like, yeah, we're going to have to go ahead and do a C-section straight away. Mm. So with that in consideration, which sounds like it was quite a difficult experience, you then have to face the birth of your second your second child. Nairi, is it normal to be offered a VBAC after a C-section? Most of the time. Yeah. Um, there are a few women where there are signs during the operation that the uterus um, is thinning and therefore it would be too much of a risk to have a future vaginal birth. So if that is the case, usually at the time of having your C-section, somebody afterwards should tell you if you're not a good candidate for a VBAC, mm. which, which is vaginal birth after cesarean. But whenever possible, they do encourage it because the risks to uh, women are lower having a vaginal birth in most cases. Yeah. Yeah. So with my second kind of taking that into consideration, at first we kind of looked into going private, to be honest. Mm. But then that was, you're like, oh, you look at the website, you're like, that's not too bad. And then you have to add on the consultant fees. You're like, oh, that's where, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, we're good. Um, and so we interviewed different hospitals. And um, because you're, because I, I was a good candidate for VBAC, I had an appointment with a consultant um, to kind of talk through the options. I asked for an appointment for the lead midwife to talk through the issues that I had previously and, mm. and get comfortable again with with the situation. I personally wanted to go for a VBAC mm. because I wanted the different experience and also I didn't want to deal with the recovery of a C-section, especially with a toddler. Mm. But yeah, so the second time around was, there's a lot more to consider. The first time you're kind of like, you know, you're focused on your birth and your birthing plan and what to pack in your hospital bag. And this time it was like, birth option is going to impact my existing child less. Mm. And that was the way that I was thinking about it. Mm. Yeah, it's a very, very different second time. Mm -hmm. And so you decide on going for a vaginal birth mm -hmm. and you have these discussions. Sounds like you're taking a really proactive approach. Mm -hmm. Did you get a doula on board as well at that point? No. So we spoke to the doula that we had had originally, and unfortunately she was kind of taken up by someone. And um, so we decided, oh, you know, we should be fine this time around. I overall, I'm, I'm really happy with how things ended, but I do think that if I could have done it again, I would have got a doula because I always think that having that person who 
is a champion for you mm. and also genuinely understands, hey, here's where there's some room for pushback. Here's where maybe I wouldn't push back. Me or my partner just don't know that stuff, right? Mm. Not being experts. So I think I, I wish I would have would have had that. But yeah, I think it was really good kind of taking a proactive approach, speaking to the consultant, asking to speak to the lead midwives to kind of make that judgment call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're sitting here uh, listening to this podcast and wondering what a doula is, Nairi, are you able to explain what's the difference between a doula and a midwife and what role do they play in the preparation for birth and during birth? Yes, um... The main difference, I suppose, is that midwives have more medical training. And some midwives over the years and their experience will have developed a lot more knowledge than others. But essentially, some of them won't have so much of the medical training. And so different things suit different people. But a doula is an expert at providing the kind of emotional support and advocacy role. Mm. Midwives can do that too, obviously, but it's easier for somebody like me who's a private midwife because I can provide the continuity of care and get to know people, whereas NHS midwives are usually only seeing women once and having to forge a relationship in a very short space of time. And doulas, because they have less medical training, are less expensive than independent midwives. So Mm. I think it's it's obviously a very individual decision. Mm. Um, I obviously think independent midwives are, are very good, but I also understand that doulas can be wonderful. And I think whenever you're choosing somebody who's going to be working with you throughout a pregnancy or certainly with you during labour, you actually need to interview quite a few people and you need to feel really comfortable that their personality fits yours, that they're going to put your needs first, but they're also going to be honest with you when something you're um, hoping for isn't working. Yeah, and providing that emotional support both to for you and the partner as well is, I guess... Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. And so um, you get to your due date? Yeah. So w- what I had decided on was that I was going to um, try for a vaginal birth, but then I would have a C-section booked in at a certain point. And when you do have a C-section, you come in a few days before they do some pre-tests, those COVID tests, for example, and some other things. And when I was there, she was just like, oh, you've actually, oh, because I told her I, I'd been do, um, producing show for like the last two weeks and I wanted to know if I was close. So she did a check and I was a centimeter dilated. Can we just check too about the show and I read, what is that and what does that really mean? Um, it's a great name because it yeah. sounds like <laughs> it should have drum rolls around it. Um, basically, um, towards the end of pregnancy, the cervix begins to soften and ripen and it begins to open up slightly. And therefore, um, not always, but very often, the mucus plug that sits in the cervix as an extra uh, protective barrier against infection will begin to come away. and you know, some women will see it in the days before going into labor or the weeks, and it may have streaks of blood in it, which might look scary, but it's actually a really positive sign that the cervix is changing. And then some women won't see it at all. They'll just go straight into labor. And at some later point in the labor, some mucus plug might be seen. 
there isn't a great way to describe it. It's a little bit like somebody's blown their nose in your underwear. <laughs> um, yeah, on and off it was like coming out and I was yeah. just really uncomfortable and my belly had dropped. And so she was like, you are a centimeter dilated. If you want, we could book you in um, to have your waters broken. And that for me was just a great option because I could go in, I knew a date, so I can just be really confident in terms of childcare for my daughter as opposed to like mm. having to leave randomly in the middle of bedtime or mm. something. And the water, they can break at this point because you are one centimeter dilated. Mm -hmm. So that's an option to speed things up, but it's not available if you haven't been dilated. So I, a little bit of a story there. My, sadly, my grandfather passed away like a couple days before this um, from COVID in the US. So I was trying to get back to the US as soon as possible. Um, and so this was something I think they offered me given the situation, They're like, because you're kind of starting, you know, the midwives were encouraging me to wait, but because of that situation, I think they allowed me to do, to do this as kind of like more of a compassionate thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not easy to break waters at, at one centimeter. Okay. So usually with an induction, you have a bit more of the preparation to get the cervix to about two to three centimetres when breaking the waters is a little bit easier. It's not impossible at one centimetre, but it needs to be done by somebody very experienced and I would say with some pain relief as well. So yeah, by the time I got in, I was at two centimetres. Okay. By the time they actually, so that was like, okay, look, this is where we're at. Mm. If you want, we could book you in. And by the time I went in for my appointment, I was two centimetres dilated. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Was it painful? No, and I was really nervous about it because I remember the previous my previous story, she was like, you got to have, you know, an mm. epidural. And at that point, I was already four centimeters dilated when she was saying that. But no, it didn't. And it wasn't painful for me, no. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's any different second time around. I don't know. But yeah. yeah. And what happened? So at that point, they said, look, we'll give it four hours. In the meantime, walk, bounce on the ball, do as much as you can come back in two hours time. So we went ahead and did that. I came back in two hours time. The midwife and consultant were there and the consultant came in. And at this point, I wasn't really feeling much pain. I could see on the monitor though, that I was having contractions, but I couldn't really feel anything. And the consultant came and looked at me and, you know, I'm chirpy. My husband and I are in a good mood. She, she looks at me and she goes, all right, we need to start a drip. And I was like, we still have two more hours. Mm. And she was like, we need to get a drip on this girl. And so then thankfully my midwife took the consultant outside and said, look, we said four hours, let's give her the four hours. And lo and behold, like maybe 10 minutes after she left, things started to get naturally just started to skyrocket. Mm. And then at the four hour mark, I think I'd gotten to four or five, which I think with what they were first trying to get me to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was really grateful that um, we were able to avoid the drip at that point. And why was there that time limit? Um, well, I think that the midwife in that situation performed a really good advocacy role. Mm. And I would say that very often in maternity care, less is more. Mm. And it isn't always a good idea to intervene too soon because mm. a lot of the time nature gets it right. And actually Leah's birth was progressing really well. Whereas actually, if they'd have whacked the drip up at that point, it may have made the baby distressed. So I think sometimes it's good to wait a bit longer because it can have the desired effect. 
if a baby's unhappy, that's a different situation. But mm-hmm. at this point, everything was going well. So intervening sooner may have had negative consequences. Yeah. So yeah, at this point, I could tell the contractions were starting to get, you know, a bit more intense. I was starting to feel a little bit more. And then I had, even though I was in delivery suite, and so and at Homerton Hospital, at least, those rules don't standard come with a plugged-in pool. But when, when I knew there was one that did. And so when I got checked in, I asked if they would move me to that room. And luckily, they did. And then I could tell the pain was getting worse. And so I wanted to get into the pool as soon as possible to try and get ahead of the pain because I was trying to hold off the epidural for as long as possible. Mm. And then we went through this kind of funny back and forth with the midwife where I was asking her, I was like, oh, can we fill the pool? And she was like, yeah, you can. And I was like, no, but can we, can we fill the pool? And it was like, she, (laughs) and she was lovely. I'm not kidding you. There was probably like a good 20 minutes of my husband and I awkwardly say, can we, and she'd be like, yeah, no, it's possible. And I'm like, I know that the faucet works, but, and so unfortunately by the time she actually like was like, oh, you actually want it on. She turned it on and then it takes a while to, to fill up. Right. And at this point I was like, oh no. And it was getting worse. I was like, I don't think I was able to get ahead of it. And then I I just jumped in there as soon as it was at all kind of like, I think he missed my belly button or, you know, I was like, I'm just going to get in. And then, but by that point I knew I hadn't kind of gotten ahead of it in the way that I would have hoped to. Mm -hmm. And um, I also, I had back labor with my first and I was having back labor again. So it was pretty, it was pretty painful. And so at that point I knew I needed an epidural. And then I honestly, I, I can't tell you why, but we went through that exact funny exchange again where it was like, so can we call them, you know, for the epidural? Yeah, 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 we can. But then like not do it. And then it wasn't until I remember I just got this one contraction and I just gripped the handle of the bath and I was like, you need to call her now. And then she, I will never forget, she like kind of like startled and ran and got it. And I mean, apart from that, she was lovely. And, and luckily the anesthetist was actually in the room in about 15 minutes and um, yeah, then I had a very low dose of the epidural and then I was, I was fine. And if you're sitting here now thinking um, about a water birth and, and why that's sometimes beneficial or good, Nari, what is it that water provides? Why is that chosen by some women? Um, it provides really good pain relief. If women are relaxed and calm, it can provide sort of up to 50% pain relief, I would say. Oh, wow. It also gives women the buoyancy, so they feel a bit more weightless. And obviously at the end of pregnancy, you feel very heavy and cumbersome. So it's easier to move around. And another huge benefit is if babies are actually born in water, they have a more gentle transition into the world. I don't know why the midwife was reluctant to fill the tub, but it may be that she was thinking about the fact that using water too early in a labour can slow things down, Mm. which can then cause problems. But it would have been better if that was her thinking to actually say, Leah, (laughs) we will fill the pool, but let's just hold off a little bit longer Mm. and explained why. And maybe here are some other options we can do in the meantime. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, And potentially the delay with the epidural was her thinking, the baby might be born any minute Mm. because second labors are very unpredictable. You can go from three centimeters to baby out in 15 minutes in some cases, or it can take 12 hours. You know, it's much more unpredictable. Obviously, we don't know what she was thinking. It may be that the anaesthetist was busy, but really what Leah needed was information. Mm. Yes, I've heard you. 
there is a delay. This is the reason it's easier to understand, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So once the, once the epidural was in, then it was very smooth sailing. And I have to say, being in a hospital, chilling out, watching a show, getting some food, when you have a toddler, that was like the equivalent of like going on a five-star <laughs> holiday. <laughs> like it was really nice. And um, to be honest, I and I was able to get a full night's sleep. And I know people have kind of strong opinions about epidurals one way or the other. And I, and I just say for me, it was really nice to get that rest before kind of going into what all comes with the baby and stuff. Saying that, I think if I were to get pregnant again, I probably would like to try to have a baby without an epidural for that experience. Mm -hmm. But um, it was really, so once that was in, it was pretty smooth sailing. And I think they did a check with me and I think it was about six centimeters once once the epidural was in. Mm. How did you feel then? Once it was in, it was fine, but I was really struggling. And I don't do well with gas and air. I don't really like it. I, mm. It makes me feel really nauseous. So I was trying to do that because I was in, like I said, with the back labor, it was pretty intense. And so it just wasn't really fun. Mm. But once it was in, yeah, that was pretty calm. And why is a, a back-to-back labor so painful? Because the best physiological position for the baby to be in is with the baby's back at the front. Nature will be trying to rotate the baby. But in the process, you get some very, very strong contractions and they usually felt right in the back. Mm. Um, And they can often be uh, incoordinate. So you get one really strong one and then you get a less strong one. Then there might be a long interval until the next one, which will be really powerful. And I guess the other thing is back-to-back labours take longer because you've got to allow for the baby to rotate Mm nearly all babies will eventually rotate, but obviously the process can be quite long and very challenging. And because they're longer, women are often more exhausted at that stage. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so you, um, you have the epidural. When do you start pushing? I think the whole process started around 11 o'clock at night and I started pushing believe the next morning at about maybe 7, maybe 8 a.m., they came in and they are like, you're 10 centimeters. We'd like you to start pushing now and we'll give you, I think they said an hour or something. And my midwife, so the consultants came in to kind of brief me on, here's the situation. My midwife came up to me once they left and said, would you like a top up? To which I said, again, if a midwife is offering you something, I'm going to take it. So I said, yeah, that's fine. She's Mm. like, yeah, I don't blame you. And then, (laughs) um, so then um, we went ahead and started pushing and we were pushing for about an hour. And then the consultants came back in and said, look, we're going to have to do forceps. And again, I was really, really nervous. Mm. And the midwife, again, talked them into giving me a little bit more time. And she was really sweet. She came back and she grabbed my hand. And she grabbed my partner's hand and she gave my partner some instructions and she was like, all right, we are going to push like hell for the next 30 minutes and mm-hmm. try and get this baby out. And at the end, we were able to get him out with a Vontuse, which I was much more comfortable with than, mm-hmm. than forceps. Um, so yes, that was, that was great. And what's the difference between a Vontuse and forceps, Nairi? Um, the Vontuse looks a bit like a sink plunger mm-hmm. <laughs> and it goes on top of the baby's head. So it is theoretically possible to do it without an episiotomy and it's sometimes straightforward and easy. Mm. So 
the woman still pushes as the obstetrician pulls and it's very much a team effort um, and potentially it causes less trauma to the baby. Although sometimes, you know, forceps is the more appropriate. It depends on the baby's position, how high or low the baby is in the pelvis. And it also um, depends on which particular obstetricians feel comfortable. Doing what? Yeah. 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 Um, So forceps, on the other hand, are... They go beside the baby's head, so you do always need to have an episiotomy. And they look like two large um, salad servers, and they encase the baby's head. And just as with Vontus, the obstetrician pulls while the woman pushes. So again, it's a team effort to get the baby born. And in different situations, different methods will be more appropriate. And then um, he comes out. Yeah. Um, and it was such a different experience to the C-section. Mm. You know, I was so excited, obviously, especially with Luna, that she came out, she was healthy and, and we were okay. But I was, by that point, you had so much pain relief going through you. You can't, I can't feel past my collarbone. Mm. Um, the adrenaline just completely come out of you because obviously it's very hectic having an emergency mm. C-section. And I was fighting to stay away. They laid her on my chest because I couldn't hold her. And I was just fighting to keep my eyes open. Mm. Whereas with Ezra, I actually lifted him out. So I, once he was coming out, I grabbed him out and, and, and pulled him onto my chest. And I remember saying, holy, you know, F word. (laughs) (laughs) So, but so happy, you know, Mm -hmm. it was, it was a really exciting experience. And, um, having a vaginal birth, what I found so interesting was that you're having this really precious moment, you know, you're holding your baby on your chest and you and your partner, Meanwhile, your legs, you're still very exposed. Mm-hmm. And I had, um, I avoided episiotomy, but I had second degree tears. Mm-hmm. And so they were suturing me up in the meantime. And you're kind of on this cloud nine with the baby and you're having this part. And, but the, your legs are still kind of spread wide open. It's, yeah. it's a very odd, odd experience. But yeah, again, I was just so happy that I was able to have a successful VBAC. Yeah, it's very impressive how you researched everything just even the pool you know you knew that there was a pool in the hospital and Mm -hmm. you had that knowledge yeah I think that's such a good illustration of that you can have a really good second birth that is possible and researching and using your knowledge is is key yeah I mean I would say to like any mom out there who maybe had a poor experience was really nervous is to luckily because I had a dual I had some of this understanding but to know that like just ask and then just keep asking. So if my, you know, I had my antenatal midwife who maybe wouldn't give me something, like would never say no, but I wouldn't necessarily get the answer or as much information I was looking for. I was calling to the Homerton Maternity Helpline and just speaking to to those people. Or when I came in to have my um, whooping cough vaccine, it was a different midwife. So the, I would just speak to everyone mm. and every person would give you a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. And so I, I, I found that really, really helpful. Moving on to the labor ward wasn't, wasn't fun. And I was really glad that I was able to get out of there about 10 hours, I think, after we had the baby. And then, yeah, it was really nice coming home. My my daughter had already gone to bed at that point. And I would say the first few days were really beautiful because I was really fortunate in that my partner was able to stay home and we kept my daughter back and we were able to have someone to come in and kind of help watch her mm-hmm. so she could be with us. But then, you know, we weren't necessarily on the hook for lunch or, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, the first few days, the newborn still sleeps quite a lot. Mm. 
And so it's this kind of like honeymoon phase I felt where mm. introducing the baby to, you know, my daughter for the first time. And initially, you know, she was super receptive and obviously he gave her a little gift. And so you're nervous about that meeting. Oh yeah. That was, you know, definitely planned and, you know, mm. what toy we're going to give and how we're going to do it and make sure that she doesn't feel like, you know, I, I, I tried not to be in the room. I think I was the one who went and got her in the morning and brought her in as mm. opposed to, you know, yeah. yes, it was really nice, but yeah, you're really kind of focused on her and how she's um, reacting to everything at the same time. You know, you've got, you know, I've got Ezra here now and, and understanding kind of his dynamic in the family. It's really, it's really fun. Mm. And you mentioned that the recovery with the C-section was quite hard. How was your recovery this time? Oh my God, night and day. I, I could not believe it. I would say recovery with C-section was harder. I think they tell you generally it's going to take about five or six weeks. Mm. I was really fortunate that it wasn't that long, but it was still a few weeks of really not moving. Whereas with the VBAC, yeah, I was up and walking around that day. You know, I came home, carried the baby in, put him down. You know, like I was so shocked by how good I felt mm. um, in comparison to when I had the C-section. Mm. Yeah. It was really, yeah, it was a big relief. And how was it otherwise with your little boy? Um, he was like super sweet. He nursed a lot. So his average nursing session was about 60 minutes. Mm. Um, so that was, that was fun. Um, <laughs> the difference with him having a, a toddler around is he actually got sick quite early on, whereas my daughter never really got sick, but she's going to nursery. So he was actually admitted into Starlight, I'd say like a month in with a really bad um, infection. That I found a little bit nerve wracking kind of managing that situation. Yeah. But overall, like, yeah, no, he was just, just, I mean, it's a newborn, right? Super cute, super, mm-hmm. um, you just want to like cuddle them all the time. And then obviously seeing your other daughter, your your other child, like, you know, kiss him or want to see him and it's just melts your heart. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure listening to it and uh, really inspirational to know that a second birth like that is possible. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.